0: We're going to discuss a word today that is not always popular in our culture or even in our Christian churches. Sometimes we choose to ignore this word or sometimes we might even wish this word was not in our Bibles. It's the word submission that you might have seen if you took a peek at that outline that's inside your bulletin. We don't always like to submit as Christians or as citizens in America. We like to rebel sometimes. We like to resist submission. In fact, sometimes we don't just like to resist submission. We like to do the opposite of what someone tells us to do. If they tell us to do one thing, there's a part of us that naturally just wants to do the opposite of whatever someone tells us to do but submission is something that's not just part of our nature but it's part of our culture sometimes we're told to you know pursue our own dreams to go after things that we want to not let anybody stop us from getting the things that we want to fulfill our life and go for things but submitting to god in the christian life means that sometimes we submit to certain things certain authorities And submitting to God in the Christian life means we sometimes submit to certain people in authority over us. As we're going through this book, 1 Peter, we have completed the first section, which described life in the Son, where Peter describes our identity in Christ. Now he begins a new section in chapter 2, verse 11, where he moves on to our life in society, describing our Position and our duties in the world and what that looks like And he describes the submission that we need to have as believers as a citizen in a culture under a government He describes the submission we need to have as a worker working for other people and authority over us We'll look at those two today and in the next two weeks We'll look at submission in the context of marriage and then submission in the context of a church body and community And what Peter is really saying here that you might have picked up from what Pam read to us is that As Christians, there are certain sins that we need to stay away from There are certain sufferings that we're going to experience And there are certain situations that we need to submit in So we're going to look at this here from 1 Peter at The the submission that we have in front of the lost Then he'll describe the submission that we have in the context of a government, and then submission that we have in the context of our work. So let's read first about this submission that we're supposed to have, and its place in front of lost people. He writes in verses 11 through 12, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now we have a little subtle hint here that we're coming to a new section in Peter's letter when it says, Beloved, I urge you. Or the translation that we heard read to us, I think, said, friends. Usually that's a hint from certain writers in the New Testament that they're kind of moving on to a new section. And Peter is moving on from our identity to our responsibility here. And he makes a familiar statement about these unfamiliar people that he's writing to. He says, you as aliens and strangers... That's similar to something he said in chapter 1, verse 1, when he called these people, he's writing to aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, and he lists the five provinces there. This was a reminder to the people that that Peter was writing to, is that their home on earth and their place where they are at is not their permanent home, that they are citizens of heaven temporarily placed on earth. It also is a reminder to them that their actions and their attitude needs to be different than the culture in which they live. One person I read this week described it this way, he said, we live in the midst of a pagan culture surrounded by pagan people who embrace a pagan philosophy, a pagan way of life, and a pagan attitude toward believers. But God has planted us here to be the ambassadors of a different kingdom. And to lead others to that better city Whose architect and builder is God That's our place that Peter is reminding us That we're aliens and strangers here And he gives them a reminder of their conduct They're supposed to have as aliens He tells them, abstain from fleshly lusts Which wage war against the soul Right? To, to abstain from something means to be separated from it And, and to, to part from it Because we are not part of this world, there are certain things that we don't take part of in this world, is what Peter is telling them. And he reminds them in verse 12 that the lost are watching our behavior. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And when he writes about Gentiles there, he's probably not describing an ethnic race, but instead an unsaved people and lost people that are not part of God's family. He says, keep your behavior excellent because they are watching us. And we know that too today. People are watching us to see if our our creed matches our conduct, if our, our words match our walk. He tells them, keep your behavior excellent. Because apparently there was some slandering occurring about them. It says, Keep your behavior excellent so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers. Apparently there were people saying bad things about the believers. What that is we might not know, but they were talking badly about Christians. These two verses that Peter shares with us in verses 11 and 12 remind us as believers that we focus on our behavior, not on the behavior of of others. D.L. Moody, the evangelist, once said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than anyone I know. Right? We've got our own act that we are focused on trying to keep together. As you've interacted with people that aren't part of churches over the years, I'm sure you've heard the same statements that I have. People that say, I don't go to church because if I go there, I don't want to be judged. I don't want people to look at me or judge me or my tattoos or my hair color or how I dress and it's interesting because as we're in church most of us it takes all of our mental energy to worry about ourselves we're not worried about what color of shirt people wear or what type of tattoos they have or don't have for us as believers it takes everything we have to focus on our behavior and what we're doing right and how to stay away from The sin, as Peter describes here, that wages war against our soul. As Christians, we're here on earth as a brief pit stop, but we would need to monitor our behavior and and do good deeds as a good witness to other people. And we gather together on Sundays to kind of be recharged and encourage one another and learn and grow in our faith so that we can go out and do those good deeds it's football season now, and if you're familiar with football, they always have uh, different parts of the game, but the game is cons- made up mostly of them playing on the field, but before they act out the plays, they usually do what's called a-, a huddle, right? Unless it's Peyton Manning, he didn't do a huddle, he'd just do everything right at the line. But football teams do the huddle, right? They come together, they make up their plan, and then they execute their plays. People go to football games not to watch the huddle but to watch the plays. And in us as believers, we are here on Sundays, kind of like our weekly huddle, where we encourage one another, we learn and grow, but we go out into our city and community, where we work, where we get our drugs at the pharmacist, where we grocery shop. People are watching us, and our behavior, hopefully, is a good witness that brings others to Christ and isn't a reason that they can slander us. So Peter describes how we're supposed to submit to God's behavior that he wants for our lives first in verses 11 and 12, and then he moves on to submission in the context of government. I was talking with someone this week about my my sermon, and she asked, what's your sermon going to be about? And I said, well, it's about submission within the context mostly of government and work. And she said, well, they're not going to like hearing that, are they? (laughs) I said, well, it's in God's word, so we're going to look at it. And that's what we're gonna do today. I know this is a hard one to to listen to and read, but I wanna faithfully take us through what Peter's saying, also what he's not saying, and what it means for us living today in 2023 in America. So as Peter moves on to this submission within the context of government in verses 13 through 17, he starts with this command to submit, he tells them. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Now this is a familiar way that Peter writes in this letter. Almost every paragraph begins with the command, and this is his command in this paragraph, to submit to every human institution. But notice he says it's for the Lord's sake. It's not about government or rulers or political people. We submit because it's for God, because it's what God tells us to do. Then Peter gives us the objects of this submission that we're supposed to have. In verse 11, I'm sorry, in verse 13, he says, Submit for yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. Now, there are different parts of the Bible that teach us that we are, as Christians, are supposed to submit to the government authorities above us. In Matthew 22, when some people are asking Jesus, us as followers of you, Jesus, do we pay taxes? And what did did Jesus say? He said, pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He told them to pay their taxes. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that he needs to teach the people there to pray for their leaders and in Romans 13 Paul writes in that letter that they need to honor and live peaceably under the governmental authorities over them and here Peter is saying something similar that they need to submit to the authority and the government that is ruling over them there. And he describes kings here, which is kind of the highest authority, and then he describes in verse 14, governors, which describes probably a more localized authority, people under the authority of the king. And in Peter's words here, and in those other parts of the New Testament I mentioned to you about submitting to government authority, nowhere in there do they endorse a certain type of government, whether communist or democracy, capitalism, or socialism, they don't endorse those or talk about them, but they do talk about submitting to authority for the sake of peace and law and order, for the sake of keeping peace with where they're at. And then Peter moves on to the results of that submission in verse 15. He says, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. See, our submission prevents unnecessary and illegitimate criticism that people might have of us as believers. Now, as Christians, people already have enough that they can criticize us about. We don't work on Sundays because we want to come and be with our church family to worship. We don't spend our money on all the fancy stuff that culture tells us we have to have because we want to be good stewards of our money, save and tithe the church. We don't worship or praise earthly kings or political figures because we have a heavenly king that we ultimately worship and praise. But see, when we submit to government authorities, Peter tells them here that we silence those foolish men. We silence their ignorance. Probably the same people that were slandering them in verse 12 or the same people described here that were saying negative things about Christians. So 15 describes the results of that submission and then Peter gives the principle in verse 16 and 17. He says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, he says. Here, Peter is describing for us the the context of that freedom and the context of our submission. See, as Christians, we have freedom from the ruling power of sin in our lives, from, from the guilt that results from that sin. We have freedom from... The obligation to follow the law perfectly in order to gain righteousness, those are all things we have freedom from. But as Christians, our freedom is never an excuse for evil and wickedness. Our freedom is never a covering for doing bad things or sin. It's never an excuse for self-indulgence. Our freedom allows us to be slaves of God, and we never use that freedom for ourselves. We use it for others. And Peter is telling them here, you use that freedom to obey government authorities and to keep peace and help keep law and order in the system that you're placed in. See, what Peter really is saying here is that we as Christians, we should be model citizens where we live, not rebels. That when we faithfully submit to government, we earn commendation. One study Bible I read this week says, Good citizenship counters false charges made against Christians and thus commends the gospel to unbelievers. Charles Swindoll writes about this and describes it in a little bit of a lengthy way, but I like he helps with some of the cultural backgrounds that Peter was writing to these people and that they were experiencing. He says, The Bible never suggests that rulers will be perfect. And our civil submission is not conditional upon our government modeling Christian virtue or reflecting Christian morality. Chuck Swindoll writes, remember in Peter's day, the empire wasn't a benevolent pro-Christian monarchy. A percentage of the taxes Christians paid supported the construction of pagan temples and funded unjust wars. And don't forget the insane dictator Nero was notoriously cruel toward Christians. The same Nero that would eventually kill and murder Peter because of his faith. Sundal continues, Nowhere in scripture are revolt and anarchy promoted. But Peter's call to submit to established government as a system, was a system for maintaining order, doesn't mean that God endorses every particular ruler. Neither does he approve of particular laws that stand in defiance against his will. Believers are not obligated to follow such laws that conflict with God's clearly revealed will Nor are they instructed to keep silent in the face of obvious social and political injustices In cases where God has given his people a command like preaching the gospel and shunning idolatry Believers must obey God rather than human leaders But in so doing they must also be ready to suffer the legal consequences for that disobedience outspoken circumstances so let's put the rubber to the road here we submit to government even if we don't agree with the politics or policies but with the small caveat that as long as those politics and policies don't directly contradict with what we're told to do in Scripture when submitting to the government would cause us to violate God's Word we follow God's word and not the government's policies, if that makes sense. For example, when we're asked to wear a mask, maybe during COVID, when we go into Walmart, nothing about wearing a mask maybe contradicts God's word. It's inconvenient and not fun and annoying, but there's nothing about wearing a mask in public to protect other people prevents us from following God's word. Another way to say it is that Christians practice civil disobedience when the government requires believers to disobey God. Now, there's a prerequisite to that, is that we need to know God's Word in order to evaluate what the government says and what we follow and don't follow. Again, the idea of submission is to keep peace with our government in which we live and to maintain law and order. There are stoplights on the road. Those are main made and put there so that we don't get in an accident when we're driving around town. There are certain security measures placed even in our church, like there's an illuminated exit sign there and there. If the power goes out, those lights come on for our safety. Those are things mandated by the government for our protection. We follow those because they make sense and because they don't contradict anything in Scripture. There's nothing about exit signs in Scripture that prevent us from, from following that. So as Christians, we're model citizens, not rebels. But Peter, Peter takes that idea of submission in government and he moves it on to another situation that these people were living in. Submission in the context of their work. Starting in verse 18, Peter gives this exhortation. Again, a new paragraph and a new command that Peter gives them. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, Peter is addressing slaves here. It seems to be that he's writing to people that were household slaves in a home working for a master. He's not endorsing slavery, but he's simply describing how best to endure it and make the most of it. And as we think about slavery today versus then, slavery back then was an economic issue. Today, slavery is is an issue of race and discrimination, but back then it was more of an economic position that you were placed in. It still is detestable. It still is repulsive and makes us recoil, but it's the situation that these people are in, and Peter Peter is writing to them to help them in that situation of slavery. And he describes these slaves as ones that have... um, are under the legal authority of other people. Whether they're good or bad, he says, whether they are good and gentle or unreasonable. The behavior of the slave owner is not what determines what these slaves are supposed to do. Again, it's for God's sake and their submission to God, not the humans above them. So, verse 18 is Peter's exhortation. He tells them what to do. And then Verse 19 is an explanation. He writes, For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Submitting under unjust suffering within the workplace is becoming more and more common in our culture in which we live, especially as Christians that experience suffering and problems where they work. I have a friend that that worked at Sam's Club for three years and he liked working there and he kind of worked up the the chain there and found a good job, but he eventually quit after three years. And I remember asking him why he quit that job that he enjoyed. He said his boss would regularly ridicule him because he was a Christian. He had other co workers that would sometimes make fun of him, but he said he eventually quit that job because there were customers that would regularly come that found out he was a Christian. And they would make little remarks to him while he was working about his faith. And he quit just because he was tired of enduring it. That job that he had wasn't in Seattle or Portland or San Francisco or Los Angeles in those big liberal cities. It was in a suburb of Dallas, Texas, right in the middle of the Bible Belt that they called the buckle of the Bible Belt, because Texans are very proud of where they lived. But that's sometimes where we live and the suffering that we experience, that he had to experience. And Peter elaborates on this suffering that we sometimes experience in workplaces. He says in verse 20, For what credit is there if you sin and are harshly treated? You endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it you patiently endure it this finds favor with god for you have been called for this purpose peter makes this little statement often to the side here saying if you do suffer for your work it needs to be because of your righteous conduct right if you're Regularly late for work you goof off when you're at work and on your phone you cause problems and conflict with your co-workers You aggravate your boss, and then you get fired. That's not just suffering that Peter is describing The suffering that you experience in your workplace needs to be because of your righteous conduct And he tells them at the beginning of verse 1 that they have been called for this purpose just as they have been called and Foreknown by God for salvation They're also called for this purpose of suffering. And then Peter moves on to the example of Christ in verse 21. He says, Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. As Peter describes for us this suffering that sometimes we're going to have to experience in the places in which we work, he uses Jesus Christ and his death as the example for us to follow, the sacrificial death of Jesus. And he describes the steps of Jesus, saying, Jesus left for you an example for you to follow in his steps. Specifically in his steps, not like a game trail in the woods of a path, but like steps in the snow, steps with blood drops between those footsteps in the snow. That's the path that we follow. Jesus is suffering. We follow that same path. He's our model and he's our behavior. And Peter makes a mention in verse 22 of Jesus' lack of sin, that Jesus had no sin and he never sinned. There was no envy or lust or anything as part of Jesus' life. Peter reminds us of Jesus' silence also on the cross in verse 23. Jesus didn't speak up to defend himself, nor did he speak out against the improper trial that they held against him. And then verse 25 describes Jesus' sacrifice. He bore our sins. It's almost as if Peter views the Old Testament altar and now it's Christ's cross has replaced that Old Testament altar our sins were were spent on the cross and put on the cross with Jesus and as a comforting word Jesus mentioned or Peter mentions in verse 25 that we all were like straying sheep bringing in some imagery from Isaiah 53 and what Jesus had taught in John 10 we all are like straying sheep but when we place our faith in God He is our shepherd and our guardian and our protector. See, as Christians, we are quiet sufferers, not loud complainers, is what Peter is telling us. Within the context of where we work and the the people that we submit under where we work, we are quiet sufferers, not loud complainers. And Peter is going to have a lot more to say about suffering, starting in chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 4 verse 19 are big long sections about suffering, but he briefly introduces it here, saying that suffering is something we might encounter in our work, but we need to be quiet and silent just like Jesus was on the cross and taken to the cross. Now there are circumstances where we work somewhere, maybe there are sexual advances made to us as a woman. That is a certain situation where you go to a whistleblower or an HR person. Maybe your employer is making you do dishonest things that are against the law. That is another situation where you have the right to, to express disagreement and involve proper people. Maybe it's even verbal abuse that you don't deserve, that you feel like you can't handle. Those are other situations where you don't submit within the context of where you work. There are exceptions to this, but as a general rule, he's telling them to submit. And why? Why is he telling them to submit and suffer? Dr. Larry Waters once taught me that the greatest way we can witness to an unbelieving world is by handling suffering properly. The greatest way we can witness to an unbelieving world Is by handling suffering properly specifically in the context of where we work when we handle suffering under an unjust boss or an unreasonable boss when we extend grace to that boss in that way it's an image of the same grace that was extended to us by God that we didn't deserve that grace we didn't earn it but God extended grace to us and when we extend that grace ...to an unjust boss and endure suffering. It's an image to the unbelieving world... ...of what we have already received... ...and what God has done for us. So as we wrap up today... ...one of the reasons from time to time... ...when we read scripture that we know... ...God is the ultimate author... ...is because scripture sometimes tells us... ...to do things we don't want to do. Right? Scripture sometimes tells us to do things that a human would not be telling other humans to do, like submitting to the government or submitting to a boss. But here we're told to submit to Godly behavior in front of lost people so they can see good behavior and not slander us We're told to submit to the government in which we live under even if that government is not godly or anti-god And we're told to submit to our work bosses, even if it means enduring suffering I know these are hard to hear next week. We're going to cover submission in marriage And then submission in the church But it's what God tells us to do. If I was writing a Bible and writing things down, this probably isn't something I would have described. I would describe revolt, rebel. Then everybody would be excited and get on board. But this is what God tells us to do. Submission within the government we live in and the place that we work. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, you tell us things in Scripture that are at times comforting and encouraging and helpful, that you give us guidance and and direction, but sometimes you tell us things that are hard to hear, things that we don't want to do. And this passage in Peter is one of those that it's, it's difficult for us to submit to government above us or our ungodly and unjust bosses that we work for. I pray for help for us as a body wherever we might be or whatever positions we might be in, that you help us endure the suffering you've placed for us where we work or endure the, the submission that we might need to do under our, our government that we're placed in. Help us know about the exceptions to those principles. Help us to know your word, and when when it tells us to do things different. Than what the government says. Give us insight to know what those are, encourage to do what's godly and what honors you, both in our work too. And these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll invite you to stand if you're able for a benediction, and then we'll be dismissed. Let us go and worship you, Lord, in what we say, what we do, what we think. Let us saturate our city and our community with worship of you, Lord. Amen.